Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 206 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 30th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast for signing day. National Letter of Intent Day is just two days away, Wednesday, February 1st. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we've got a lot of team questions to get to as well. We'll have uh, uscfootball.com. Beat writer Dan Weber coming up in the next segment. We're going to talk to him. USC got their first win in basketball. Pretty amazing in the conference. So we can talk to Dan about that a little bit, and especially about the team that started off-season workouts last week. So we'll get into some of the details of that. We've been down at all of those workouts. And, but we have first, in the first segment, we'd love to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde, who's joining us today on the Peristyle Podcast. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Well, it's a beautiful day, and uh, it's a silent period, so uh, I can talk with you about recruiting, but the coaches can't do it until signing day, which is Wednesday. And what an exciting day that's going to be, building up to that, and all day looking at the different reports of who's going where and what. And, you know, I just love that day. It really has an opportunity to uh, see families become excited, coaches become excited, you know, players, uh, community. Uh, newspapers, uh, having kids' pictures, signing. It's just a great day for everyone. It certainly is, Coach. And I just want to let people know we love to get your questions. We have questions to get to today. We have three different ways you can send us in questions now. Podcast at uscfootball.com. If you want to send us an email or you can call 206-888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. Leave a brief voicemail. And we also have a thing called SpeakPipe. That's a new uh, feature we're trying out on peristylepodcast.com. We have our first SpeakPipe question today. We'll get to a little bit later on. But you can click right on your, your computer screen, right on the left side of the screen. If you go to peristylepodcast.com, you have a microphone active on your laptop or your computer. You can say the question right in there, and it'll send it to us and over the uh, Internet. So you don't even have to use a phone. You can leave us a voicemail essentially right on your computer. So definitely try that out. We uh, got our first one of that today, so we're going to play that for you and see how it sounds. Uh, I want to also thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. If you go to sctickets.com, you need tickets for anything. Clippers are hot right now. You want to see Lakers games, stuff like that, call 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for anything in Southern California or anywhere across the country. You can check that out. And uh, Coach, I guess maybe we can start off with the, some signing day stuff. Yeah, we still get some questions, and I think we have one or two questions kind of asking about the number of uh, signees and why does USC only have you know this many scholarship you know rides to give out? This is an interesting time. I mean, this is a historic moment. Wednesday will be historic. You've never seen a major college football program go through something like ten fewer scholarships to sign, you know, and still have an active program there. It's not like an SMU situation. I mean, USC is going to be a preseason number two or number three team in the country, yet you know for three years and, and starting on Wednesday signing 10 fewer guys. No program's ever had to go through this. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty crazy when you think about it. And uh, that's why I guess it makes it all that more more interesting for USC on signing day because it is so different and unique. 
It is, and uh, it's sort of upsetting, too, for the NCAA to see USC be ranked that high for next season and also see the type of uh, recruiting class they're potentially going to sign because uh, their, I feel, uh, goal was to really spank the Trojans where they were down at the bottom of the Pac-12 and took a couple of years to recover. So, you know, that's not going really that way. But what it does, it really puts a lot of pressure on the coaches to make sure they make no mistakes. They can't forecast players. They can't say, well, in a year or two, this player is going to be a great player. They've got to make sure that the players that they're signing, the 15 kids that are coming in in the fall and the ones that are already there as far as that counted towards 2011 can play. You'd rather not utilize the scholarship if it's a mistake. You just can't, but you need the number. You need the number because they've cut the numbers down, as we all know, from 85 to 75. So you can't just bring someone onto your roster as far as a practice player or somebody who's going to get better or potentially can make it. You've got to bring players who can start after a redshirt year or start as a freshman to get through this period of time. So it's a lot of pressure on the coaches, and they can only go after four five-star players and maybe a three-star now currently right now they have one three-star player that they've uh, offered a scholarship to and he's in school and that's wheeler the big tackle from santa monica but you gotta and these evaluations aren't always correct too they're done by services and who knows how close they are to the real deal but coaches don't just go off services they go off of their own personal evaluation as far as meeting the kid watching the kid play on video and watching him play in person so you can't make mistakes. If you look at USC, they've got, they're going to bring 15 in. UCLA currently has 26 verbal commits. Will they get all those verbal commits? I don't know. How many scholarships do they have available? I don't know. But it's a difference of getting twice as many players coming in next fall camp than USC. So some of those maybe are two- and three-star players, but you can afford to do that. And another thing, a lot of those players wouldn't be at UCLA or Cal or Oregon or wherever they might be if USC could offer them a scholarship, but they can't, so they go to their other choices. No, that's just, I mean, one of the many ways that it's going to impact this Trojan football team over the years. But, you know, Lane Kiffin said he has a, a plan in place, and it's, so far it seems like it's working out okay. You know, really after Wednesday, Coach, it's like kind of two more years. It, it seems like, you know, three years away when the sanctions are going to end. But uh, it's really just two, you know, after Wednesday, it's two more signing classes. And uh, we'll see. I think this one, you know, with the success that USC had last year, certainly helps. I think you get players' attention when you win 10 games and you beat teams like Oregon and Notre Dame. I think people aren't looking at the program as being down or on probation or anything because the team was so successful. Next year is also also very important, obviously. Uh, you could make a good run with Matt Barkley coming back. Just another reason why it's important that guys like Matt Barkley uh, and T.J. McDonald came back. Obviously, if you can finish the, the season winning double-digit games again, you know, maybe making it to the Rose Bowl, maybe make it even higher, going to a national championship game, that kind of successful season yet again only could help the following recruiting class. And then there really will only be one more left uh, after that. So... It's kind of like you know you're taking this in chunks, and and Lane Kiffin did what he had to do to get through the the bowl bans and doing that. Um, now he's trying to do what he can to get through the signing day, you know, the the sanctions on scholarships, and obviously signing a great class for Wednesday would would do a lot. But obviously the the success during the season too helps you a whole lot as well. 
And, uh, Ryan, let's don't forget, after the second year uh, goes by, the third year goes by, the following year they go back to 85. So that means their class could be 25, 30, 35 players coming in. If they're all quality players and the SC program has stayed at a high level, man, you get a great bunch of players at one time. Yeah, and that's, uh, it. you know, you can do, sign up to 25 if there's any uh, players left over from the previous class. They can bring those in at early enrollees, and that's going to be part of the, the issue, too, trying to get back up there, depending on how the class schedule, you know, how the uh, structure breaks out. Uh, just trying to get everyone back on the same page. And, you know, it's difficult. Now, I, here's a question we can maybe uh, segue with. Uh, JJB wanted to know, he said, great program. Why does USC only have 12 recruits so far? Some of the other schools have over 30. Uh, only two schools in the top 100 had less. Wisconsin has 11 and Nevada had nine. Is that because of the sanctions uh, that JJB? And I, JJB, I know you write in all the time. Uh, yes, it's because of the sanctions. If you only have 15 scholarships to give away, you don't usually sign, you know, they're not going to get all 15 right away. Um, you know, I think they got a good core group, and Gerard actually put up, Gerard Martinez, our recruiting analyst, put up a prediction sheet on the front page of uscfootball.com this morning. So there's certainly a lot of high-profile guys that they're going after still. And, you know, like you said, Coach, what if, you know, they have a chance at like 17 or 18, and then what do you do? There's It's kind of a, a quandary. I mean, how do you tell a kid, well, we have too many kids, we can only sign 15 because the NCAA, you're not going to be able to come. I mean, it's tough, Coach, but like you said, they have to try to get somewhere close to 15 to keep these numbers up. Yes, and if a kid is really committed, you know, you can do what you call a gray shirt, which means a kid comes, uh, pays his own way for one semester, takes 11 units, he's part-time, gets admitted, and then the spring you put him on scholarship as far as next year's 15. If he's a great player, you don't turn him down. Or you give them an opportunity to go to community college for a semester and take 11 units where he's not a full-time student. His clock hasn't started. And come in in February on next year's class. And to answer J.J.'s question, the reason why they only have the number they have is because when you recruit for the best, everyone wants the best. You don't lower your standards. So, you know, some of the great players wait to commit late or wait to surprise everyone or sign at their high school that day or whatever. They like to draw a crowd and make it big news. A lot of people can get 25, 30 recruits, whatever they can get, 25. You said, I don't know, UCLA has 26 on the list. But but because there's not a lot of players recruit or coaches recruiting them or universities recruiting them, so a two-star or a three-star, if they get really an offer at a university that's packed, at a Pac-12 university or university they really want to go to, they'll do an early commit. Or they'll commit right away, but they'll say, hey, if I turn this down, I might not get another one. But when you recruit for the five-stars and the four-stars and the ones that are especially linemen, which are so difficult to get, sometimes you've got to wait. And it goes down to the last minute, as, as Ryan said. It does, and uh, the, the prediction page up on USCFootball.com right now talks about when these guys are announcing. There'll be one a little bit later today, uh, Zach Banner, the five-star offensive tackle that we saw down in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl out of the state of Washington. He'll be announcing today at 2.30. We'll start live coverage at about 2 o'clock. We're going to um, stream the announcement live, so we will have it live on Rivals. If you go to uscfootball.com, you'll be able to see the, the live stream of what he does, you know, when he puts the hats in front of him, whatever he ends up doing. 
Uh, Pickett looks like USC has a good shot at him, and that would be a great start uh, for signing day. Signing day can be kind of crazy, Coach. So if you can get a guy a day or two before signing day, maybe it gives you a little momentum heading into signing day. It does, and a lot of players want to play with certain players and see that certain players are still committed to USC and their great program. So when you get great play- players, it brings other great players. It's sort of something that you feed off of. I remember when I used to recruit, I used to want to get one or two great players, and those players would help me recruit other players because they wanted to play with those players. And they meet them in all these all-star games, and they talk back and forth, and they tweet each other all the time. And uh, they become really companions. So it's really important that when you can get an early commit like that, it really gives you more of an opportunity to plan, too, the numbers game that you have and predict who's coming, who's not coming, and the ones that are question marks. And there's still some that are question marks. Yeah, there's actually a bunch of question marks out there. And, Coach, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, There's some big-time offensive tackles out there. I mean, USC needs to put together a great offensive line class. Looks like it's coming together. We're not sure how it's going to pan out. You mentioned Zach Banner. That would be a great start a little later today. You got Andres Pete uh, in Arizona, a five-star guy. You got Kyle Murphy down San Clemente, another five-star guy. Gerard doesn't seem to think that those two are going to go to the same school. Uh, if a guy like Banner comes, what do you think about big-time offensive tackles? It's rare. I mean, there wasn't a lot of great offensive linemen in the state of California last year on the West Coast, and there's a ton of them this year. It's a huge class. USC wants to get you know their fair share or more. Have you experienced something like that, Coach, in the past where there were so many good guys at one position, especially like on the offensive line, that maybe they're waiting to see where the other guy goes so they won't go to the same school. No, that happens at times. But if you're a real competitor and you believe in your abilities and you want to be a Trojan and you want to play for national championships and Pac-12 championships and go to the Rose Bowl, you go to the school where you have that best chance. And also those type of players want to play on Sunday. And you look and you see what schools have sent players to from the offensive line to the NFL. And USC certainly is one of those type of players. To get all three of those players, I hardly doubt it. To get two of the three, there's a possibility. Uh, Because you form a unit, you look at the offensive line, and remember, the offensive line is a unit. These guys will grow up together. These guys will play together, hopefully, uh, five or four years. So you look at your bookends. If you can get a bookend, you've got George Simmons, who can play a guard. You've already got Hobie, who redshirted. He could be a a freshman along with them. You've got Martin uh, Martin. Marcus Martin, you've got you've got some great offensive linemen, and they see the potential of playing with a great offensive line, and that draws players. Now, the guy that's worried about, oh, I might might not play or not good enough. Well, he goes somewhere else, and uh, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good because if that kid wasn't really to compete against a Murphy or Banner or so on, then he's not going to compete against you that hard to he already has admitted hey i can't play with those guys or i don't want to compete with those guys and i don't want to bring up names of players who's gone to other schools especially this year because they didn't want to be a trojan because they didn't want to compete and they didn't want to maybe play on sunday maybe they just wanted to have a good college career and if they have that opportunity of playing on sunday okay maybe a fourth round draft choice or a third round but if you want to be in the top two or three rounds and if you're a great offensive lineman you go to USC, and if you prove it, you'll have that opportunity. All right, Coach. Well, let's uh, let's get to a couple of these questions here. 
Um, and you were talking about some of the, the linemen that were already in the program in competition. So this, this question kind of goes right along with that from Jeff Smith. He says, given the need at defensive tackle, is the USC coaching staff uh, talking about moving maybe a guy like Cody Temple to defense? Looking at the current depth chart and the list of likely recruits, he seems to be like a logical choice giving his height, weight, quickness, and strength. What are your thoughts? Well, I really don't know what he's done during the off season or how big he really is, and I won't know that until I go out to some spring workouts or see what you put on the board here on your website. But, but uh, yeah, you, you need sometimes – uh, you have to do those type of things for depth on the defensive side of the ball. But you got to do it with a guy really believing he has the opportunity of playing and it's the best for him and the best for the team. Otherwise, he doesn't go there with the attitude uh, to try to be the best. He goes there with the attitude, well, you don't think that much of me on the offensive line and you're just putting me over there so they can run plays against us, I'll never play or so on. No. You've got to send him over there with his blessings and your blessings, Orgeron's blessings, and say, hey, kid, you can play here. Believe me, I wouldn't have you come over here because I don't want you taking turns away from other players. So, yes, that could happen. At times it does happen. And at times players say, wow, thank you. You know, J.J. Watts was a tight end, I think, when he went to Wisconsin, if I remember. Now he's starting as a, as a rookie in, in the NFL. So, you know, you've you got to move players around where they can get on the field. And if a kid has a chance to get on the field and, and perform and so on, that's in the best interest of the program and really in the best interest for the kid. So, yeah, they might move some kids around on that because they probably have to, but I'm interested to see how Woods does and, and also Hayward does and some of these other kids that were there and redshirted on the defensive line. And if you need more numbers, then – you move some over there to keep it balanced. Yeah, especially if they bring in, bring in as big of an offensive line class as they can. I mean, it's going to be a big offensive line class. There there could be some candidates there. Maybe we'll see Cody Temple. But uh, likely during spring ball, we might see a little bit of that. And then at fall camp is probably when the, the class of 2012 arrives and you get to see them. Then you might see some moves and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll pay attention to that for sure. Thanks for that one, Jeff. And um, you know, you know, Ryan. I don't oh, mean to interrupt you. Oh, go ahead. This Wheeler kid, this Wheeler kid from Santa Monica, did six six about two fifty. Uh, he played both ways for Santa Monica, and I'm going to tell you, I sort of liked him as a defensive end, even maybe a little bit better than an offensive tackle. So you don't really know if that possibly could turn into a defensive player too. That's a great point, and uh, I mean, he has some uh, some of his body he still has to grow into. Uh, he's going to put on weight, and you know, we'll see if he. You know, in a year, he might look like an offensive tackle or he might look like, you know, a defensive tackle or a defensive end. And I did like him. I got to see a couple of his games, Coach, and I liked him rushing the passer. Um, but, you know, it, it was it's weird. It's hard to tell once you see him against better competition, once he kind of grows into his body a little bit, we'll have, some, we'll have a better idea. Um, but, you, you know, you talk about moving players around, Coach, and this next question kind of goes along with that. Sometimes players make decisions based on what the depth chart looks like. We talk about it with recruiting. Um, and then you see a guy like this is a question has to do with Dylan Baxter. You know, right now USC only has three players on scholarship for the running back position. So things could have been, you know, very different if a guy like this sticks around, but here's the question we had on that. Yeah. Hi, uh, Ryan and Gerald. You're doing a great job. Uh, I just wanted to, um, ask a question. Um, I was just thinking like uh, a player like Dylan Baxter, I know he was in the past and no longer with us, but, just um, just a player like him, and you know, with our new recruiting classes, these players, their egos are so big that you know they can't be happy for other players, and it's 
mainly just about them. Um, how what what a pretty position he would be in right now if he had just trusted, you know, his path, you know, and not not try to dictate it or think that he was um, being done wrong by the coaching staff. What 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 a position he would be in if he just focused on working hard and just trusting the the staff to put him in the right position to have success. He, he fit in so good right now. But anyways, I'm just uh, curious about uh, how you can determine like. Uh, players that are more team-oriented than just individual-oriented, and how important is that to when they go out and recruit? Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Was he talking about Carlisle? No, he was talking about Dylan Baxter. And, and oh, the, Dylan Baxter, yeah. And the kind of final question being, you know, how do you, can you recruit guys where you think they're going to be more team-oriented versus individual-oriented? Well, I think what happened with Dylan Baxter and uh, – he certainly was a great athlete in high school. He really did. He scored something like 50 touchdowns in one season. I've never heard of that. Some guys can't do that in a career. Playing the wildcat, running and passing and something, part of it as far as the totals. Came to SC early, had a great spring as far as people evaluating him and so on. Uh, had a unique, uh, had the unique ability to be able to be a great receiver and be a one-on-one receiver as a running back. Uh, I was very impressed with him the first spring. But then it seemed to catch up with him for some reason. When fall camp started, he didn't seem to be the the same player or the game caught up to him. I, I don't know which way to say that. I didn't see him progress and get better and better and better. I really feel his real position is not a running back. I really feel it's a slot back, so I something like Welker or somebody that can catch the ball, go one-on-one and catch the ball underneath and make some great moves. Doesn't have great speed now, and it's a uh, – I want everyone to understand that he isn't a four-four-four-five guy. I would say, and I'm not, you know, positive, but I'd say he's four-four-six, four-seven type of speed. But he has the ability to run around and do certain things. So he came. He had some problems on campus. He didn't fit in. He was a star trying to adjust to a team type of program, and he had a lot of difficulty. I've had that happen right away. And a lot of kids mature older than other kids. And I think what happened, he was maturing or older in high school, his junior and senior year. He was playing like a freshman level or sophomore level of a college kid. I've had players do that. They just never got better. And I'm not going to mention their names, but they just never got better. They were as good as a freshman as they were as a senior. So it's surprising how that happens to some kids. Some kids just mature earlier than others. And I think Dylan Baxter is that type of kid. I think it's good for USC, and I think it's good for Dylan Baxter to get a fresh start, wherever he decides to go. You know, you have that opportunity to go and start over. He's learned. He knows what he has to do. He can think about where he should be and what type of offense he should be in, evaluate himself, and see what's going on in his life and decide maybe football isn't what he wants to do. But you got to really dedicate yourself to the game today to be good. you got to be a team guy. And as far as the running back situation at USC – you know, everyone's saying they're hurting right now. They only have three backs or so on. You know, uh, I don't think they're hurting. I, I really don't. I think they've got five backs that they can depend on. McNeil's the toughest little guy in the world, and he had a great, great year. I think D.J. Morgan has all the potential to be a great running back. You've got Pinner coming in. You've got Allen, who uh, was there in the fall, red shooting. I don't know much about him. But, you know, you sh- you know if you just play your best players – and you get away from this rotation type of thing, then you're going to be okay. 
Uh, everyone's used to having seven or eight running backs and rotating them all and no one being any good or nobody getting the numbers. I think when SC became a good football team last year is when all of a sudden they decided to go with two running backs, Tyler and McNeil, and the running game they started to believe in, and they became a better football team offensively. Uh, I mean, right now, I think it'd be very difficult to go out and get a five-star running back right now with the amount of times and carries that a running back carried the ball last year, the last couple of years at USC, because it's been a statistical type of record-breaking pass offense. But when the running game fit into it, it became a great offense, not only setting records but winning football games. And I think that's what the bottom line is. So time will time will take care of itself. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think, I think they're going to be fine. That's what I'm saying. You think they're going to be fine? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was a situation. I think the Amir Carlisle, I mean, Dylan Baxter wasn't a surprise. But the Amir Carlo thing that you mentioned earlier, I think the coaches really were honestly surprised by that. And they weren't really after a lot of running backs in this class. I mean, they you know, got Pinner from Mission Viejo, and it kind of set them back a little bit. I think they looked at some different guys, but nothing really panned out. And like you said, because of the sanctions, they can't just send a, a flyer on a kid and waste a scholarship. So, um, But they have so many guys back on offense uh, besides you know the running back position. Uh, they just kind of have to hope for no injuries, I guess you could talk about that. But, you know, Matt Barkley throwing the football around isn't the worst thing in the world that can happen to your offense. But it's just one of the other challenges, I guess you could say, Coach, with having limited scholarships. If something happens at the end where a player or two transfer out of a position or a, a guy decommits, it's harder to replace them when you only have 15 rides to give out as opposed to 25. It really, it, you're exactly right. And Amir Carlisle, if he had to do it again, the way I understand it, he wouldn't leave USC. He, he, I read somewhere where he's sorry he transferred and liked to come back. But you know, you got to make your decisions. You're a man, and so on. You decided to go, and and that's what happens. You know, it's pretty hard to leave a school like USC and go be happy somewhere else. It's pretty nice at USC and go back to some of these areas and. You find out where these towns really are and how it is to live in the cold and nothing to do and, and not go outside and play video games all day. They get old. And uh, and I'm sorry he left. Don't get me wrong. I'm sorry he left. He probably had the potential of being a great player. But you got to wait your turn. And if his dad wanted him to be with him, then, you know, maybe he should have gone to Purdue. Then they could sleep in the same house. <laughs> Great point, Coach. All right. Well, Coach, thanks so much again for coming on. And uh, I'll be on with you on Thursday after signing day. So we'll be able to talk about some more USC recruiting after that on your show. And you can tell people where they can get that. Yeah, on Thursday, Ryan's going to join me on USC Trojan Talk. You can go to the website since it broadcasts mainly to Las, Las Vegas. But you can catch it, too, at the Inland Empire if you're in the Inland uh, Empire from 4 to 5 p.m. on KCAA radio that's 10:50 a.m but he's going to be with me on am 1400 that's kshp radio just go to kshpradio.com go into the uh website there and it'll have up in the right hand middle center there uh it says live listen live just hit that and between seven and eight o'clock you'll be able to hear us anywhere so uh that means anywhere 
not just in L.A., anywhere, because uh, it'll be an Internet broadcast. And, and, Ryan, I want to thank you in advance for doing that, because I know how busy you're going to be on Wednesday. Yeah, it'll be crazy. But we'll have, we'll have a good time and uh, having fun. I always like talking USC football recruiting, and we'll be able to kind of recap everything next week on the show with you, Coach. Get your thoughts on this signing class. So look forward to that. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Well, thank you very much, and I want to thank all of our listeners for their questions and so on. And, uh, Ryan, have a great couple of days, and don't get too nervous now about Wednesday because uh, <laughs> I got a feeling it's going to be okay, but SE always pulls off a few surprises, and you know that better than anybody. They certainly do. All right, Coach, thank you very much. Thanks very much to Southern California Tickets for sponsoring this segment. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber coming on the show. Thanks for, for joining us, Dan. It's a crazy couple of days heading in towards signing day. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, it's a, <clears throat> it, you know, it's, it, I guess it's a plus and a, and a negative in some ways that, that people get as invested and involved and all of that in, uh, in what's going to happen about an awful lot of stuff that I don't care how close you are to these situations. It's kind of unknowable. You know, it's kind of a flip a coin. And uh, I think the one thing you can know is that uh, nobody probably works harder or smarter than the USC coaches uh, about this. I mean, you know, as much controversy as there was on the hiring of Lane Kiffin, uh, which mostly has gone by the boards now after, you know, the second season and everybody has seen him up close and in action and preparing teams and all that. The one thing that wasn't ever in doubt was uh, how he would go about recruiting and how he – you know, how meticulous he was and how, uh, you know, how, what a hard worker, how relentless, how smart he was about it. Uh, and uh, I think that that's certainly proven, you know, proven out. And uh, no matter what, how the results break down or whatever, you know, happens at the, you know, the very last moment, you probably have to say that nobody could give it a better shot than uh, than this staff. And that uh, under, especially under these, uh, under these, uh, you know, NCA mandated, uh, you know, sanctions that are just ridiculous beyond belief. But uh, that they've, uh, you know, gone about it and, you know, planned for it and and then you know, stuck, you know, with great discipline to uh, to a plan, which, again, no matter what somebody might tell you, we really don't know what that plan is, and we really need to. Just say let's let the plan develop and enjoy watching it, and see how it goes, and not try to get a you know get ahead of ourselves here. 
Yeah, a lot of people on the peristyles tend to get ahead of themselves, so everyone out there. It seems like the plan is working. We will see a new offer comes out or anything happens and everyone kind of goes crazy or a potential kid could decommit. I mean, it, it causes riots on the peristyles. So these last couple of days are very volatile, to say the least. Uh, but I think you do have to put your trust into the coaching staff that they know what they're doing. And, you know, there's 17-year-old kids out there that could change their mind at the last second. And who knows what's going to happen. But it's always... It's always a fun ride, Dan. Yeah, and I, I always think that if a kid, for whatever reason, USC isn't right for him, or he really, no matter how much you determine that it's right for him, uh, I always think I'm going with the kid. If he thinks, man, I don't know if that's, that may be a little fast track for me, or, <clears throat> or academically, you know, that may be, that may be a little more than, you know, we, you know, than I, that I bargained for or whatever, and, you know, we may think, oh, he'd be fine or all that. But I always think it, it kind of sorts itself out, that the kids that are supposed to be there uh, end up there, and the ones that aren't, you have to wish them well and say, you know, uh, go for it. Wherever you are, uh, you know, see if you can beat us. Uh, it, it, you know, from the US, if you're a USC person, that's what you say. You just say, you know, see if you can beat us, and, and we'll see, uh, you know, on the field. And, and that's just... Uh, you know, I think pursue it, you know, at that level. And, and I think people have handled, for example, the uh, uh, Kyle Prater now going to Northwestern, and he's handled it so well. Amir Carlisle was a little harder just because it was a little uh, uh, unexpected and in a position of, uh, of some depth, that, you know, need. But um, uh, the fact that he's going to Northwestern, you know, I mean, uh, Notre Dame, unprecedented. And, I, and yet I think USC fans have, have maintained a really good perspective about Amir uh, and the kind of kid he was and the kind of student, kind of teammate, and all of those things. And I think that's where we ought to, we ought to keep it. And if I, if I put in an editorial comment, I, I would think the one place you would love to see people absolutely draw the line and not go there are the people who want to say, here are the players who are going to lose their scholarships. You can't possibly know that. You can't possibly know how the numbers are going to work out. That doesn't need to be finalized until July. And anybody that posts uh, anything that says these are the guys who are going to lose their scholarships and puts names, I just think that's so far over the line and so far out of bounds and it just shouldn't go there. And that's one of the things you just have to let play out because there are a lot of different ways it can play out, a lot of things that can happen between now and then. You just don't – you can't possibly – Lane doesn't know. You can't possibly know. <laughs> uh, so uh, just cool it on that one. That, that one you just have to say, no, I'm not going there. You can guess if you want to guess for whatever reason. You don't know what the numbers are going to turn up turn out to be. Uh and, you know, we haven't gone through spring ball, uh, haven't finished, you know, even close to finishing winter, winter work and all that. You can't begin to know how this is going to play out. So I would stay out of that one just because, you know, it's, it's hurtful. <clears throat> it's a personally hurtful thing to kids that have really uh, done a lot for this program, stuck through it through really, you know, tough times. It's one of the outrageous uh, effects of, of the NCA penalties that are that just you know are, are 
truly beyond the bounds and, and should have never been ever allowed, uh, you know, to have been uh, to been a part of the you know the penalty structure. But uh, I don't think you want to join, uh, you know, the hurtfulness maybe of uh, you know listing someone as uh, this guy's going to lose his scholarship. Just stay away from that. Good advice, Dan. I like it. Uh, well, let's let's jump into some of these questions, Dan. We do have a uh, we have a new way to to send in questions. You can use a feature called SpeakPipe. It's on peristylepodcast.com on the left side of the page. You just click to leave a voicemail. You can leave it right on your computer. And the first one is an interesting one about. There's always a lot of talk about this, Dan. Maybe get your thoughts about the uh, the academic side of recruiting against different schools. Here's that question. Hey guys, great podcast, longtime listener. This is Jeff from Virginia. I have a different kind of question for you. I know National Signing Day is this week. So here it is. Notre Dame fans say they can't compete for elite athletes because of their high academic standards. How does Stanford compete? I know that USC and Notre Dame compete for the same recruits year in, year out. Has USC gotten a recruit that was rejected by Notre Dame? Thanks. I hope you debunk this myth by answering this question once and for all. Fight on. Uh, that is a good question. Uh, not that I know of, not, not recently. I know I um, uh, was around the Notre Dame program a little bit in the, the late 80s when uh, well, USC and Notre Dame were playing each other for the national championship. Uh, and um, I know Lou was all, Lou Holtz was always upset that um, Notre Dame, uh, the admissions office, he and the admissions director, I guess, started really clashing at the end of Lou's time there. And it was always over, quote, unquote, speed athletes. And um, and he couldn't get them into school. But I, didn't, I don't think any of them went to USC, uh, not that I knew of. Um, and I think it's it's the refuge of people who lose, what, 10 out of 11 or whatever the heck it is. Uh, if, if you're playing, a, you know, you're, all, you're, one of your, you're basically your all-time rival who now has academic uh, standards as good or better than you do, probably ranked academically, maybe even nationally a little higher than you are, uh, it's then it becomes, uh, well, there was this one athlete or this other guy or we can't get this guy in because of, of that. And, you know, maybe people have to have those kinds of excuses, but that's all they are, excuses. Uh, you do, I get email some people who are, you know, on the inside at Notre Dame or they've got a source on the inside at Notre Dame. And, uh, oh, I think a couple of weeks ago was getting these ones that, well, uh, what you wrote about USC doing the right thing about Amir Carlisle and releasing him to Notre Dame. I have a really good source on the inside of the athletic department at Notre Dame who's never wrong. And he says that the, uh, uh, the NCAA penalties forbade USC from not allowing a player to go wherever they wanted. And then I said, well, of course, not true. You haven't read the, all the, uh, all the you know, testimony. You haven't read all the penalties. You haven't read the 500 pages that unfortunately have sitting on my desk. And uh, you also don't know what you're talking about. And then within a week, Kyle Prater is released, and it specifically says he can't go to Notre Dame. So, uh Probably Notre Dame, you hear more of that kind of thing than, than from anybody where you hear these inside kind of whispers of, well, that's, uh, there's a reason we can't you know, compete because we can't get this guy or that guy. I, you know, uh, 
I don't think that's true. I don't know that that's true. And I don't know that anybody at Notre Dame knows that's true. But it's a it's a good excuse if you want to use it. And uh, if you need an excuse, I guess uh, go for it. Yeah, Dan, and the, the caller mentioned, and thanks again for uh, for calling that in. Uh, that's Jeff in Virginia for uh, first question using SpeakPipe. So thanks very much, Jeff, for doing that. Um, but USC is competing head-to-head with Stanford and Notre Dame quite a bit for, for players still to this point. And I think more players have probably switched from USC to Notre Dame than the other way around, <laughs> lately at least. Yeah, I, I don't know that USC has to uh, apologize for any sort of a track record when the last two transfers out went to Northwestern and Notre Dame. Uh, it's not exactly like you're, you know, you're sending kids back to junior college somewhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, academically, I would think that's a, a fairly good track record. And then the third one who just recently transferred, uh, you know, uh, Bryce Butler is going with his academic degree, undergraduate degree already is in a, into a master's program. So I'm not sure uh, if I were, you know, any of those schools. You know, obviously, Stanford's a great school. I mean, they're different kinds of schools. You know, Stanford, Notre Dame probably more have, have more in common, uh, you know, than uh, than USC, uh, just because USC is a bigger, broader-based, uh, you know, uh, uh, academic program and uh, and graduate school, and um, uh, you know, across the board, where Notre Dame, you know, wouldn't have the medical school and dental school and things like that. So, uh, you know, they're different kinds of places, but they're all three you know, wonderful academic institutions. And uh, uh, I think it's pretty impressive that you see uh, the three of them basically, you know, recruit, you know, uh, competing for a lot of the same kids. That pretty much ought to tell you uh, where those schools are academically uh, rather than, you know, some guy whispering that we couldn't get this guy in because of academics. That, that's, uh, you know, I think in L.A. we've heard that a lot <laughs> here in the last decade, uh, and it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, without any proof that we we know whatsoever. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't worry about that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Chuck in Newport Beach has a social media question. He says, reading about Eric Armstead and Shaq Thompson getting a barrage of criticism from USC fans on Twitter – um, and I think some of that was brought on themselves, especially Shaq Thompson. But um, there, but there's definitely it's out there for sure. How big of a problem is this type of thing with recruits and guys already on the team? For me, someone who is holding, who is in their 40s, even though I'm a big fan of the team, I don't have the desire to follow or correspond with 20-year-olds, let alone offer them criticism. Um, you've been seeing a lot of that in the social media worlds, Dan. I mean, it's it's surprises me that people would follow all the all the players uh uh you know i i i really i wouldn't do this if i didn't enjoy talking to those kids and being around them uh and uh and, and you know getting to know them and seeing how and but honestly don't want to follow them on twitter you know i just don't want to do that that you know and i know they've grown up differently and they understand how it works in terms of <clears throat> it doesn't mean all that much. You know, it's, not, it's like they're living their lives in public in a way that most of us could have never imagined, you know, that you would, you know, write about or talk about. And a lot of times it is for fun. A lot of times it doesn't mean what, you know, if you start parsing it and say, well, what does, I mean, I've seen, you know, posts recently where they, they post, somebody will post a, 
one of the recruits tweet, you know, tweets and then says, what exactly does that mean? And they'll get down to like four letters and say, what does he, you know, I think if you have to do that, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, it, 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 you know, I mean, every once in a while you'll see something, you know, from one of the out of, out of town kids or, or whatever, and, and, or you'll see Robert Woods maybe is, uh, you know, the kinds of things he, he does. And, and you just think, wow, what a, you know, kind of a unbelievable leader, you know, that kid is. And, and, uh, you know, you know, for the program and all that, but, but in general, and I don't think the kids probably take it nearly as seriously as those of us who are, you know, outside that world to some extent. And you can, you know, if you want to use it and say, well, uh, this is a good reason not to, you know, have, have, you know, gone one place or another, or to have been turned off by one place uh, because of the responses somebody got, and uh, that to me, I would think that that's mostly uh, just you know finding a justification for doing what you want to do. I think Zach, you know, his situation was he was looking to do that. He was having, you know, that was that's who he is, and that was he was uh, he was trolling for uh, those kinds of responses, and uh, you know, he got them. That's fine. I mean, I think he should have been probably happy with, uh, with, uh, with what he was, was getting, and I think he probably was. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think it's changed the dynamic essentially at all. It's just uh, it allows more people to be involved in ways in which they look at things and then say, what the heck, is, what the heck does that mean? Uh, not that it tells you that much, but... Um, uh, it, hit, it makes these kids a little more accessible. I guess the one, uh, the negative is the Yuri uh, Wright kid who, uh, from uh, Don Bosco High School in New Jersey, who's uh, probably cost himself at least uh, uh, Michigan and Notre Dame scholarships, and I guess he's in the Pac-12 now in Arizona, or I mean in Colorado with his uh, with his series of uh, uh, tweets that really crossed across the line and as a, as a former Catholic high school teacher and football coach shocking a little bit that coming from a you know kid uh, at a at a Catholic high school with the kind of program Don Bosco has but uh uh but yeah there there are places I think high school coaches really need to talk to their um to their kids about uh what stuff you just can't do and who knows did he mean it didn't he mean it it just was awful, uh, and uh, and he just unfortunately looked like nobody was looking out for him and protecting him, and uh, it was a hard lesson to learn. But uh, it'd be interesting to see with him in the Pac-12 how uh, how he uh, how he adjusts to it uh, at Colorado. Um, well, it's uh, you know one of the guys we talked to last week. We talked to uh, Randall Telfer on our live UStream show. You can see that it's up on com. Now, he actually mentioned something like this, Dan, saying that there's haters out there. It's not necessarily USC fans, but he'll get, you know, uh, opponents, things like that, like people that just follow college football that maybe don't like USC. They'll find USC players. I'm sure it happens all over the place. So it's not just from your local fan base. You can be get you're out there publicly for everyone to see. And if you make a big catch against Notre Dame or something, you might get a lot of Notre Dame fans <laughs> tweeting you and, and not really happy with you. Well, I guess that would probably be a good thing. I mean, you know, from that standpoint, I certainly can't help, 
you know the other uh, uh, the other programs. Although I guess uh, we were talking this week about uh, maybe one uh, you know uh, say USC fan who people were you know tabbing as maybe close to a stalker. Uh, on one of the prospects, and I think that would really be crossing the line. And and I think that message you want to get out to people that you know uh, leave them alone. You know they don't. You know if you're going to send them one, you know generally encouraging. Boy, love they have you. Thanks. You know sound like a great kid. Fine, but hundreds and hundreds of messages. Uh, uh, no, just leave it alone. You're not part of that world. It's not part of your world. Uh, you know, you wish you'd just view it as, uh, you know, you come to the Coliseum and you make noise and cheer and, you know, go to a road game every once in a while and that you're a spectator. And uh, this is probably if the social media has changed anything. I also, and I also tie it into the whole fantasy footballization of, uh, of sports where people want to be, they want to become closer. They want to become more than just spectators. You know, they want to have their own team. They want to, you know, uh, uh, you know, win or lose and get the credit and all that kind of stuff. And I think you have to understand where you draw that line and uh, where you stay as a spectator or as a, you know, as a fan or as a booster, but you don't cross that line. And uh, that's the thing I think is really important. And, uh, you know, I would think USC fans probably don't do a lot of that hating, uh, you know, of, of anybody. I, I I, I remember the first time I, I was doing a traveling college football Hall of Fame and went all over the country. And I was, was at the Notre Dame in 1989, Notre Dame-USC game. And uh, we had been, you know, we basically went to all the great football powers in the country for home games and uh, picked up on that. And I had never been around USC much. And the USC fans who came through that weekend at Notre Dame were different from any fan any fan base I I had ever been acquainted with because you know I grew up in uh, you know in the Midwest but in Kentucky so I had a Southeastern Conference base and a Big Ten base and a Notre Dame base and all that kind of thing and the USC fans were different uh, the ones that were in South Bend that weekend they were like well the Pellerin brothers were there and got to meet them and it was like the USC fans were like cooler. Than the other, they were like more college football. I mean, with more, if you're from not from around California, not from Southern California, you don't understand USC's football tradition and how far back it goes and how historic. Because everybody always thought California was the new place and you know whatever, and you don't think of, of the history and all of that. And I thought the USC fans had. Kind of, they were more grounded than almost any fan base we saw. They were more, uh, kind of more pleasant, more upbeat, kind of cooler, and almost like because the way we did the traveling Hall of Fame, you pretty much got to talk to everybody, and we had a big forty-foot uh, uh, RV that we had customized and turned it into a museum with a lot of the miniaturized displays from the Hall of Fame. And so you got to interact one-on-one with people. And the USC fan base was absolutely one of a kind. It, there wasn't another one of a great football power that had people that just seemed to be more able to put things in perspective and hadn't lost kind of sight of, you know, what really is going on here. And so my hope uh, or my thinking might be 
that USC fan base, the USC fan base will handle this whole social media thing maybe a little bit better and without crossing the line uh, than maybe in some other places. But I guess we shouldn't be surprised if people cross the line. No, it, <laughs> crossing the line can happen, Dan. You've, you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think of the guy, you know, poisoning those trees at all, the Alabama fan poisoning those trees at Auburn, or I won't even say what the other Alabama fans were doing. And oh. that, that video at, at the Sugar Bowl or at the national championship game, I mean, that's crossing the line. Mom. I mean, you can't, again, you can't even almost describe it, but uh, that isn't going to happen. But it would be, uh, I think, you know, wise for USC fans to just understand that there's kind of a place for a USC where people kind of understand how this all works and they're really proud of, of the tradition and the history and, and where they are, but they don't let it, you know, become their whole lives and they don't let it. And, and again, that's probably what drives people crazy. I mean, that the US, for example, if you take the USC Oklahoma game and it meant so much to those Oklahoma people and there were so many more of them there and the way that game went and the way the USC fans were, that were just like, you know, yeah, well, it's pretty cool, isn't it? And the <laughs> Oklahoma fans were just distraught beyond, I mean, the, the, the classic all-time fan board, you know, uh, from the Oklahoma fan site that from the start of that game to the end of that game, whatever, there were 400 posts of people uh, on their in-game thread is one of the all-time classics of, uh, of, of college football and, and our business. Uh, and uh, that probably wouldn't have been possible, those kinds of reactions, had that been the reverse. And USC fans probably wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have reacted the same way. But uh, so it would be probably good. I think, and I think it will stand out that USC fans don't do that. And I guess to throw in one more thing is, from everything we hear about the negative recruiting, I mean, it doesn't stop with the fan bases and it doesn't stop with social media. And one of the advantages almost it seems like that USC has is in recruiting, USC is able, when they're talking to kids and their parents and their coaches and all the people around them, USC can talk about nothing but USC. USC really doesn't get into talking negatively about other programs that may be involved with the kids. And from what we hear, that may not happen anywhere. That we're hearing, you know, the negative recruiting that goes against USC uh, is significant. And virtually everywhere that, you know, kids are being recruited by other schools. But the thing is, these kids are pretty smart. And I think, you know, kids and their parents, and they realize if they sit down with USC and all they hear about is USC, then they sit down with someone else, and they also hear about USC, it kind of puts in their mind who's, who's, who's the big dog around here? Who's the number one? It's USC. If USC's talking all about USC and the other programs are making sure they talk about USC, what does that tell a kid? What does it tell his parents? Uh, I think in some ways USC has an advantage from those kinds of things uh, when people you know, try to uh, you know, go against USC. All right, Dan. Uh, just one take. No, it's an interesting take for sure. Um, and I think you see a lot of that out there. And we'll we'll get all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk more about that, I think, tomorrow. 
Gerard Martinez, he's going to come on the Trojan Blast. We're going to do a little recruiting podcast tomorrow, the day before signing day. But hopefully you guys got a little taste of it today with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde and, and Dan Weber. we got some team stuff, but obviously we got to talk a lot about signing day since that's the big news of this week. Uh, but thanks again, Dan, for uh, coming on and joining us. And we'll uh, look forward to seeing you on the boards in the next couple of days and all the craziness that's going to be going on in the Peristyle. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, <laughs> just stay positive. Yeah, try to stay positive. That's good advice yeah. from Dan Weber. But uh, <laughs> thanks for Dan, Dan for coming on the show. Thanks uh, also to Harvey Hyde for joining us. Again, tomorrow, the uh, Trojan Blast recruiting podcast with Gerard Martinez. If you have any questions, go to Peristyle Podcast and send them in or email us. You try to use that SpeakPipe uh, speak application where you can leave a voicemail right on PeristylePodcast.com. But thanks, everyone else, for tuning in. We'll talk to you tomorrow. More USC football recruiting. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.